0: All right, well, let's uh, get into the word for today, and uh, of course, we've been talking about deceptive addictions, and I I, I was reflecting this week, uh, Pastor Mel was having a conversation, and um, she made this uh, statement about addiction. She said, "Uh, if I took it from you today, how would you feel? She said, if I took it from you today, how would you feel? She said, "That's addiction." So basically, you know, what what I got, what I was just listening to the conversation, took a note. She didn't even know I was writing it down. Uh, <laughs> but but to think about it, like you know, uh, it was probably was in one of our counseling sessions because you know we we're pretty transparent. We let people know what we've grown through, and we were just talking about the, um, the time in our first year of our marriage we were drinking wine. And, and I thought about what she said, because when we had stopped, the first time we stopped, when she had brought it up, she said, uh, well, we do, we're drinking too much. I said, well, I don't need to do it anyway. But I said it kind of with an edge, you know, like, well, I don't need it anyway. So, so almost out of an edge and sarcastically, I'm like, well, fine, let's shut it down, you know, since, we don't, since, since you said we're doing it too much. So then, so we shut it down. A few months later, she says, uh, well, baby, we haven't done nothing. We haven't, done, we haven't had, nothing, had nothing in a little while. And I think it was like Valentine's Day or something. So what do you think I'm thinking in my mind? I would not have a problem anyway. You know, cool. So we start drinking again and we went on a little roll. She comes back again. Now, who brought it up? She did. She comes back again. She says, well, I think we're doing a little bit too much. I said, well, you don't want to brought it up. She says, but you the man. And when she said it, it just like hit me right in my chest, you know, like, uh, you know, and actually we were talking to a, a, uh, a young couple it was their, their first, uh, they don't go here, but it's their first, uh, it was their first session of premarital. And when I made that statement, the guy said, Ooh, like he got hit in his chest just cause I made the statement. And so from that point well, I said, well, okay, we're not, uh, since I'm the man, we ain't doing it no more ever again. And we haven't drank since like 20, 29 years. Um, but I, th- what I thought about when she made the statement, if I took it away from you today, how would you feel? And I thought about, uh, transitioning through, you know, it might not be deep to anybody eating Oreos. Well, how did I feel? I remember on that, in the off season, I would feel like something was missing, you know? Like, like in other words, it wasn't an issue until you took it away. Well, 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 why wouldn't it? Why would it be an issue? Cause you have it. <laughs> but as soon as somebody tries to take it from you, um, you can, you'll recognize if it's an addiction or not, right? I just thought that I was blessed that she uh, shared. I took that from you without your permission. There, I just slipped that, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's how we do. You know, we overhear each other's conversations and take stuff. Um, but so I, so I was thinking through this, and I, I was meditating on it, and. And, and so I meditated on it, transparently, the days when I got high. Uh, and so growing up in the city I came from, I started with drinking, then I, I, I did marijuana, then I got into, probably the next thing I got into probably was uh, mescaline, which is a form of acid, um, coke, T.H.C. whatever. You know, I just it's whatever. You know, you start going to clubs and you're taking whatever that's gonna, you feel is gonna keep you going uh, at the club because you get to the club at 11 o'clock at night. When you get there, at like 10:30, the gate for the upstairs opens at 11 o'clock at night. You stay there until the next day. Well, if you I had a job, so how am I doing that without being on something that's keeping me up? All night. Then I would leave certain clubs in New York and go play basketball. Play basketball for about four hours. Get on the train. Come back home. Get an hour of sleep and start the same thing all over again. But you can't do that uh, in the natural. You, you have to be on something and and you're you're uh, you're numbing yourself from the effects of your choices. So. Where I would play ball, I would get this numbing pain in the back of my neck, and the fellows would be like, oh, he got a headache, he about to play. But really, I was killing myself. It was overload. I'm high, but I'm trying to come up out of the high to focus on playing basketball, which I could have just not been high in the first place. You know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm, I'm overloading, and, and I'm overloading. So this is what happens when we start to take on addictions. We're taking on a foreign substance that our body is not ready for, and to operate naturally, our body tries to create an immunity, but the more we take on a, that's not designed for us, the harder our, our, our mind and our natural faculties is working to try to get us to function normally. Right? And so, so, so think about it. When you take on the wrong food, your body is working harder. Things start to break down because it wasn't designed to process certain things, right? And so now you're making it process something it wasn't designed to do, so you're you're interrupting the natural flow of your body, right? You're forcing your body to do something that it wasn't designed to do. And so I was just thinking through this, and I was thinking about how much the cost of addictions, right, and vices. For example, um, Tobacco, alcohol, and illicit drug abuse carries an annual price tag of $740 billion. Right? $740 billion, but that, it, the, the, the cost is not limited to the financial cost. Right? It's also with that cost is attached uh, crime, crime, uh, Loss of work productivity and and health. So so in addition to the money that's paid, it breaks down health, it steals productivity, uh, right? And it has people desperate and committing crime, right? So that's $740 billion that could be invested in elevating life, right? People are paying to destroy life. And so, so, so when people, like I told you I did cocaine, I don't know what it is now, but at one time, you know, you know, a gram was $60, right? So you can spend 450 to $200 per day on just coke. That's small time. We ain't talking about people with millions of dollars. They, they, they spend tens of thousands of dollars on things like that. Um, and so... When I was just thinking about all this money, these tens of thousands of dollars spent on, on I use drugs, but think about eating the wrong foods. Think about how much people spent on fast food. Actually, when our finances was worse, we spent a lot of time eating that fast food, eating fast food. Like when we were growing as in a new relationship, we spent, actually all of our meals was fast food. You know, so I did, you were Taco Bell back then and I was KFCs, and so I had KFCs for, you know, all day, you know, lunch, dinner, everything was KFCs, but I always had these, uh, are they charge-offs, is that what it is, overdrafts or insufficient funds or whatever, and I was like, how is that possible, I only spent 20 here, 20, but it adds up, right, and so we had to uh, start counting the cost of even food. Now, look at the thing, you spend money on this pleasure called food, right, but it destroys your health. It eats up your insides. Then it has you spending additional money on medications that do what? Destroy your health and eat up your insides. The stuff is not designed for us to operate in. You know, sometimes we even spend money transparently on, on surgeries and stuff like that, and it destroys your health because you're, t- you're making your body do something it wasn't designed to do. And you're you constantly not able to function the way you're supposed to function and so that's why it's called deceptive addictions because it's telling you you're going to get something you enjoy but it's stealing from you the fulfillment of your life all right so let's, let's look here at uh, hebrews 12. hebrews 12. and so so even when i thought about teaching this i thought about teaching it and i was like you know sometimes it's tough for people to talk about vices and addictions Like they wanna baby them, you know, as opposed to embracing the truth. And and I I wanna just put a plug in here. You understand like sometimes people need help and most people that are dealing with addictions want help and most of the people around them that can give them help are pacifying them and they're pacifying them and they're calling it love. How are you loving somebody by leaving them bound. That's not love. Because the Bible says love, like it says when you give people the truth, that sets them free. It says give them the truth in love. So that means a part of my love is giving people the truth. So I'm helping them out of the bondage. You know, one of the things I watched, uh, I'm probably gonna reference it for the rest of the year because it really has impacted me. I was watching, I was listening to a lot of the people share our relationship. And if you paid attention, there was quite a, people, a few people that shared some of the things that I shared with them they didn't want to hear at the time. Like, and actually, I was looking at the people, and I was like, I remember when a relationship got close. It was a truth. One person on there, I said something to them. They left my house. I was like, who do you think he's talking to? He got in his car, and the Holy Spirit said he's talking to him. He came to service the next day, gave me a $20 bill and said, I was mad when I left your house, but the Holy Spirit told me everything you said I needed to hear. To this day, well, I was, he was on the video, to this day, we have a great relationship. And, and I learned this in youth ministry. Fear God more than people. If you fear God more than people, you'll give them the truth and love. You won't just pacify them and soothe them, all right? All right, so, so let's look here. At, I'll just slip that in here. Uh, Hebrews 12. Now, this is breaking down uh, Esau, uh, the process to Esau, right? So it says, well, I'll start at uh, verse 14. It says, fo- we're going to focus on 16 and 17, but I'll start at 14. It says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, right? So we all supposed to be following peace and holiness, but we wanna see God, right? Does that make sense? That's scripture, right? It says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, right? It says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, look at this, as esau this is what he called esau it says who for one morsel so of meat sold his birthright so he was so into lust it clouded him for what the exchange he was making the lust clouded him so for that moment of pleasure with that meal he was willing to sacrifice his birthright uh, verse 17 says, For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. See, he was looking to realize when he wanted what he lost. Not in the moment he made a decision, not through the years of going through the decision. But when it, when it was time now to possess all that was going to fulfill him, now, oh, no, 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 no. I, I'm sorry. I changed. But there, there, there's, there, there's something at stake. Or do, or do you really change or I just want this? Do you really realize this value before it's time to possess it? Our lives, our fulfillment, our purpose, our design. Do we realize the value now before it's time to possess it. Are we making decisions today that's gonna facilitate us in possessing all that's fulfilling us? Because this 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 whole addiction thing is deceiving us. And that's why we 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 spend a lot of time depressed, in search of significance, frustrated, on medications. Why we spend these time because we're We're searching for something missing. We're seeking, excuse me, we're seeking to fulfill this void. Right? And, And the adversary is offering us compromise. He's offering us a meal at the expense of our birthright. Right? See, its initial thrill can only be repeated if you continue to go deeper in this compromise because I was so, so this is the this is the deception of drugs it always has an initial thrill to it an initial feel good but it's saying and so once you feel that it's saying hey you want to repeat this you hey you got to come deeper now and then then you go deeper and you're like okay but I don't experience I'm not experiencing what I experienced before oh no no you got to come deeper Well yeah, yeah I'm going deeper but I'm still not experiencing oh no no you got to come deeper But I'm still not experiencing what I experienced when I first got involved started this relationship. Now, well, come on deeper. So it keeps inviting you deeper and deeper, never telling you the reality that lust is insatiable. It can't satisfy you. The initial feeling was the interruption to your system that was converted into feel good, but it was just new. But the whole thing was, remember, like, the, the, uh, the levels of manipulation. First level is suggestibility. It suggested something to your appetite. Now I need you to go with the flow. Come deeper, come deeper, come deeper. Now I'm going to submerge you where you'll now get used to an unsatisfied appetite. Telling yourself, eventually, one day it'll be satisfied. 10, 15, 20, 30 years go by, and it's never satisfied, but it's clouded you from what really is supposed to quench your thirst, and that's your purpose that God designed you for, right? That's why it's dangerous to live in the flesh, because selfishness can become an addiction too. Everything is about your comfort and your convenience. You have no forethought of to, of to do, or we we can potentially have no forethought to do what's best, not only for our future, but the future of the people that God wants us to impact. We're not thinking about them, we're just thinking about ourselves. Me and my needs. What about me? What about what I need, right? And so, so, so it can, it, we, we most of the frustration that a lot of people have in relationships is the frustration is selfishness people are irritated through selfishness. You didn't think about me. All you're thinking about is yourself. And sometimes the person says, you ain't think about me, but they're not thinking about you. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? It's all about self, 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 self. So we got to try to conquer these addictions or these lusts of the flesh. And so we got to be honest with where we are with these different things because sometimes we can go, hey, I don't do porn. What's wrong with those people? But I do 35 biscuits an hour. (laughs) There's a lot of biscuits, I know. It's kind of extreme. Somebody out there going, I'd do 50. (laughs) But but what I'm saying is, you see how you can kind of remember we say how the person stops drinking and takes up smoking? It's still feeding the root lust. Right? Stop smoking, take up eating. You, you understand what I'm saying? You, you ever see people to stop vices and pick up weight? Right? Because they're replacing, they haven't killed the root, and that's lust. Right? Does that make sense? All right, so we have to conquer this addiction, uh, this lust of the flesh that we've been talking about, right? And so we, I hit all cat food. Uh, whether it's porn, self, shop, shopping, whatever, whatever, whatever you could think of. Um, and this is the thing. Sometimes we say, I can't stop. I can't stop. We've told ourselves, this is impossible. It's not that you can't stop. You don't, you don't understand how to stop is more realistic. So never say, I can't stop. It's okay to say, hey, right now, I don't know, I don't understand how to stop. But we know that all things are possible, right, to them that believe. So never say, I can't stop. Always say, I don't know how to stop, right? So look here at Hebrews 4. Because a part of, Jesus already knew that these things, we would be tempted at with these things. And so, so God sent Christ to show us. See, it would be one thing if Christ showed up to tell us what we should be doing only. But he came to show us how to do it also. Does that make sense? Right? So he came to show us how to do it also. And then not only show how to do it, but not just with instruction, but by example. Right? You know, so, so as, as, you know, I heard somebody say, um, uh, somebody say recently, well, I've been watching you guys how you handle certain adverse situations and people, and I've, it's, it's helped me to learn how to do it. So we ain't walking around going, this is what you do in an adverse situation. No, we're, we're, we're in it. You understand what I'm saying? But they were watching. Jesus was in some things, and the disciples was watching. It's like, okay, I would have punch that dude in the face. I don't know why Jesus didn't punch him in the face. He just punched him in the face. But Jesus started hitting them with scriptures like, you know, pray for you, love your enemies, pray for them that despitefully despitefully you. right? It's like, what's he on? You know, remember at uh, Beatitudes when he was teaching on the Mount? It's like, he's processing things a whole lot different than us, but he was showing them you have power. You're giving up your power when you react. You're getting up your power when you don't know how to respond properly. You're giving up your power when your flesh is your first voice. So I'm going to show you how to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh, right? He says, I'm not even, Jesus was saying, I'm going to show you how not to be tempted with bribes, with people trying to bribe you to try to give you something less than what God has for you. See, when you don't see your value, you'll take anything. When you see your value, be like, are you serious? Oh, no, no, no. My father has more than that for me. Right? You'll take a meal at the expense of your birthright. We just read that scripture, right? In Hebrews 12, 16, right? You'll take a small meal at the expense of your birthright because you don't see you have a birthright. Does that make sense? Let's clouds us. We talked about that. So look here, Hebrews 4, that was Hebrews 12, 16 that we read earlier, right? It was that six, verse 16, right? All right, so Hebrews 4 and let's look at 15, it says, well, let's start at verse 14. It says, seeing then we have a a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, all right? Let's not give up what we're professing and believing. Verse 15, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of infirmity, but was in all points tempted like as we are. It says all points, right? But look, it says yet without sin. So we live this life, and we live this life where, I mean, can't nobody not sin, right? Don't, don't, Don't we say those things? But it says Jesus was touched on all points like us, yet without sin. And so the theory is, well, that was Jesus. I ain't Jesus, right? Right? That's the angle. Let's go to 1 John 3. 1 John 3. Verse 9. It says, for whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Whose seed is in them? Christ. Christ that was touched on all points and did not sin. So we probably could sin, but if we're yielding to Christ, if we're crucified with Christ, you can live without sin. Is that what the scripture said? Just make sure I'm not misinterpreting. So you say, well, how come so many people live in sin? Because they live a life where sin is an option. They're not trying to target Living a a sinless life. They've already told themselves, hey, nobody's perfect. I'm not even going to strive to be. Because they want to excuse their compromise because they don't believe in the ability to achieve what God said. But the scripture says, he'll work in you to will and do his good pleasure. It says apart from him, you can do nothing. So that statement is true if you're going to be apart from him. Right? But if you're going to abide in Christ, as, as, as John 15 says, you can do this. That's why 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul said, I die daily. Because if I'm alive, if my flesh is alive, I'm going to sin. Because the spirit is indeed willing, the flesh is weak. So I got to kill, I got to buffet my body, is what he said. I can't... See, so... When I feed it with lust once, I'm feeding my flesh and my body what it wants. And I might be feeding it in this compartment, but it's going to get in the way over here when I, need, when I don't need it in the way. It doesn't say, oh, you just feed me over here. I'll just stay over here until you need me. It's saying, like, oh, no, no, I'm fed now. I have access, all access. You just gave me the key. So when you're trying to move into something that's important, when everything is crucial on the line, I'm going to get in the way. Oh, oh, oh! you read all those scriptures, but you feed me. So when it's time for you to walk in love, I'm going to make sure you have a funky attitude and you're impatient. I'm going to make sure I'm going to make you think that you're OK because you spend time with the scriptures. And, and I'm going to blind you from you're not Jesus. is not your Lord. He may be your savior, but he's not your Lord, because if he was, you'd be obedient to not just the things you're confident in. You'll be obedient to every aspect of the Scripture. But I'm going to blind you through lust so you don't see it. You'll be wondering, why is this not happening for me? Why do I keep going through this? But you'll never see that it's because you're not obedient because you'll be blinded from it. Because lust blinds us, right? So we want to be crucified with Christ, right? Nevertheless, I live. But it's not I, it's who, who. it's Christ who lives through me. Christ touched on all points, but sin not, right? John 3.30, I must decrease so he can increase. Colossians 3.5, mortify your members. Mortify your members is what it says. Not feed your members, starve your members, Feed the Spirit. That's what it's saying. The Scripture says this in Romans 8.18. It's a little audible here. But it says uh, the sufferings of this present time. So so, so this, this, this present time suffering is normally what we're doing in the process of punking our flesh. Of being obedient to the Spirit. Of yielding to the word, of reading through scripture. We're punking our flesh. Every time you go and reach for your Bible, you're mortifying your members. Every time you sit under a sermon that's uncomfortable, you're mortifying your members. You haven't noticed when people are around word and it's uncomfortable, they, they fidget, they move, they find something to do? You'll watch people be on their phones, people get up, they'll go to the bathroom more time than they ever went to the bathroom before. But it's not them. The the, the, the core of who they are, their spirit, man, is their flesh. Their flesh cannot sit still around truth of the word. And, you know, they'll hold conversation. They'll be busy serving while the word is going forth. You know why? Because the flesh is saying, "Hey, hey, let's get busy doing some positive stuff. As long as you're doing positive stuff, you're good. You don't have to listen to the word. See, the flesh can't be subject to the things of God. They that are are after the spirit, mind the things of the spirit, they that are after the flesh, the things of the flesh. The flesh is enmity against God. It can't be subject to God. So anytime we yield to the flesh, we could, in our our mind, we could want to serve God. That's what Paul was saying in Romans 7. Things that I want to do, I find myself not doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? This body. This body won't let me do what I, what I want to do. So stop feeding it is what he said. He says, I got to die daily. I got to mortify my members. because I can't feed them because I realize every time I feed them, they, they, they have me on this roller coaster ride. Up, down, up, down, up, down. So the suffering of this present time of punking my flesh is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. So we got to embrace the temporary present suffering. Look, and stop quitting at the first sign of discomfort. Stop. See, see, they that endure, right? They're not talking about they that endure temptation. They that endure to the end. End And that's all of us. Nobody's exempt from endurance. So, so, so now that we got to press beyond our discomfort. But you know, some people, the first time it's sign to discomfort, that shut down. Oh, I can't do nothing. I'm, I'm not comfortable. I can only do stuff when I'm comfortable. You know what that's doing? That's feeding the flesh. Comfort is your addiction. And it's a deceptive addiction. It'll keep you sleep all day. It'll keep you sleep when things are important. It'll have you justifying... Your lack of, of valuing punctuality. That's the flesh. That's not the spirit. The spirit don't want to miss nothing. The flesh will be like, ah, you ain't going to miss that much. But you could have missed the one word to change your life. And, and you could have been missing it for years. But the whole time, you'll sit before uh, leaders and go, I just don't understand why this is not happening. Well, it's not happening because all your answers was in was in the twenty minutes you missed. But you but you don't you don't miss what you've missed, right? You ain't even looking for it because you don't know you missed it. Does that make sense? Let me just, all right, so let's let's look at uh, 1 First Peter one. It's amazing, man. Like. Like, you know, we were, we were talking to a couple out of town and, well, a couple that doesn't go here, and we were just talking to them, uh, and, and what I, me and Pastor Mel, we love people, and so when we're going through the premarital courtship, like, people think it's like some type of punishment. It's a blessing. And so when we're going through it, we're telling them, we said we know a whole lot of people that go, ah, oh, that's not, that's no big deal. Ah, oh, that's not important. Ten years later, they're seeking counseling. And know what's causing them to seek counseling? All the things they go, oh, that's not important. That's no big deal. You know, I mean, we just having fun. That's your meal at the expense of your birthright. You just having no fun. Oh, y'all, we talk about modesty. Modesty is no big deal. Now they're struggling because somebody was attracted to the the flesh. And they're getting in the way of the relationship. Now they got used to the addiction of attention. Look at me. Look at my legs. Not just, it's not just women. Look at my pecs. Right? So, now, so so it's deceptive addiction. Okay. All right. It's going, it's going, it's going over real well. Addiction, addicted to attention at the expense of a covenant. Alright, so 1 Peter 1 covenant with God and the covenants that sometimes we're in. 1 Peter 1, 14. It says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Now this is assuming, I love when the Bible does it like, it's like the assumption is, lust is former. Didn't it say, it says as obedient children, so it's assuming we're obedient, not fashioning yourselves, we could say conforming yourselves, according to the former lust in your ignorance. So it's saying, you're obedient children, you're not fashioning yourselves according to your former lust, because I know you're not in lust no more. (laughs) Right? Didn't it say that? It says, and then it says when you were in the former lust, that's because you were ignorant. And then the colon breaks it down. It says, but, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy. Look, look, in all manner of conversation. In the Greek, that means all manner of living. It did, did it say some manner of living? You could be holy and some you can't? It says in all manner of living. So what I'm saying is we're, 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 we're unintentionally, I believe it's unintentionally, we're glossing over the very things that God has given us so we can have fulfillment. All these things are in the Bible. And see, Moses understood this. Moses, had, Mo- Moses was positioned for ultimate pleasure. As a son of Pharaoh, I mean, he can almost look out of the castle or the pyramid or whatever they have. <laughs> he can look out at, 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 at his people, slavery and me like, Like some of us would have been, glad that ain't me. Because he's wearing gold and jewels. When he moved, people saluting him, getting out the way. He didn't have to pick up food, a spoon, or nothing. Moses was taken care of. Moses was the man. Matter of fact, Moses had got so much favor, he's about to take over the heirs spot in Pharaoh. But when, when, a, when, when a spirit of God came to him, like it comes to us when we're in our compromise and we're in our lust, when it came to him, it's like, this ain't your family. <laughs> what are you doing? This ain't your family. Some of us have been like, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I'm chilling. I'm enjoying myself. It says this Hebrews 11. Let's look at Hebrews. Yeah, Hebrews 11. Because what's causing some of our struggle is we're in this same position. When we're introduced to Christ, we're in this same position. But some of us are trying to bring our former lust along into our present fulfillment. And it's just not going to happen. All right, so Hebrews eleven twenty-five 25. It says, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He's talking about Moses. Right, I'm going to deal with this present suffering with the children of God and wait for the glory, not get a compromised version of glory now at the expense of fulfillment later. Right? Let's look at 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5. Again, we're talking about deceptive addictions because it's these, these things that have our, our flesh or our self have been gravitating to to give us these comforts and pleasures as we talked about here with Moses have been tricking us. On the front end is saying, hey, this is what you need. But it's stealing what we actually need. Right? It's giving us success and feel good at the expense of fulfillment. Right? And so, so we have these highs and lows. Our life is designed for us to, to to build and grow, build and grow, build and grow. Not to stay stuck and stagnant, not to get so comfortable because you find yourself always with, uh, I've been comfortable for a while and then something tragic is happening. Comfortable, then tragic is happening because we're not staying consistently obedient. Like we'll, we'll, we'll be obedient enough to get in a place where we're relieved from what we're dealing with but then we're we'll relaxing that, and, and we're not continuously inquiring of the Lord for our daily bread to stay, old, to live in obedience. The Bible says that just shall live by faith, not faith moments, faith life. So we have to constantly, even, even as we grow, there's, there's things, each stage of our lives, there's things that we were believing for. So you believe you get to this level. And, and there's things you could arrest that. Keeping it real, even the, the job, we, uh, uh, we was working at the church, the job at the church. It wasn't bad jobs. We was working in full-time ministry. Had audiences with campuses and uh, the, the athletes, uh, college athletes, professional athletes. With you know, I, I did chapel with the blue jackets and stuff like that. But I still had, we still had to stay obedient. And be honest, if we weren't obedient, we would have stayed in comfort at the expense of fulfillment. God sent us someplace we'd never been in our life. And we had, to, we had to embrace the sufferings of this present time when we got here. We had to deal with the, uh, the uncomfortable time, moving into an apartment. We've never been in an apartment all of our life. Leaving secure jobs to be rolling with $1,625. Uh, I'm almost, I was about to say the name of the company. Uh, the company she's working for, working her to, to her eyes jumping and, you know, she's, she's stressing her out. We had to go through that process. The uncertainty. Right, We have to go through that and still listen to God and be obedient. We couldn't say, now that we've got here, it's okay. No, we still have to be obedient to God. Well, that person needs groceries and glasses. You got to take care of that, even though you only got a couple of dollars. You see what I'm saying? Like You got to keep being obedient. It's, it does, it's not over. We're living by faith. We're not just trying to get into our comfort place. We want to live in obedience. All right. So First Timothy five. I say we, right? Okay. All right. So First Timothy five. I'm passionate because this is important, man. Our lives are at stake here. All right. So uh, okay. So now this this is interesting because it's talking about widows here. Look, it says, now she that is, is, is a widow indeed and desolate. Look, so if a person becomes a widow, it's saying what their first responsibility is. It says, trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. I said 1 Timothy 5, right? Verse 5. Right? That's what I read, right? Oh, okay. Did you get that? Oh, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) Huh? I didn't give you the verse? Oh, okay, I apologize. Huh? Oh, okay, my bad. All right, so now she that is a widow indeed. Well, we have to handle with care, that's why. A lot of times we have all different types of people handling this, and everybody's not sensitive to the wires. All right. That cool? <laughs> I just exaggerated. I ain't going to do all that. <laughs> all right, okay. Um, y'all can still hear me, right? All right, so, so now, now she that is a widow indeed. So the interesting thing is, in our culture... Sometimes people read over information, so they see, hey, hey, we got a widow, so then they automatically look at the widow as, oh my God, what's wrong with her, and then they 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 don't realize what the scripture says, because the scripture says, see, as a widow indeed, she has a responsibility. Look, trusteth in God, right, and continueth in supplications. So just because they become a widow, they don't change, right? Then it says, look, and prayer and prayers day and night, right? Now, look at this, the next verse. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Did you see that? She that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. When I was thinking about that, I, I was thinking about just how we don't realize the difference, like, like God's given us richly all things to enjoy, right? So when you enjoy things, I'm living for God, and then I, I enjoy some of the things I have. But I don't live in my enjoyments. Now I convert them into like I'm consumed with pleasure, not in purpose, right? So, so they're, they're supposed to be supplements to my life, not my life, right? You give a, your child a, a, a tablet for them as, a, as a, an, an addition to their life. But suppose they shut out their whole life and everything they do is in the tablet. Like you don't exist. Did you give them the tablet for that? The disconnect from the family? Right? So, so we, the, God gives us the home and the car for us to enjoy, not for everything in our life now to be consumed with the home, the home and the car and we forget about God. So we were pressing the God to get the home. Now, because of the home, we can't get to God. So no problem. So, so now you'll go back to getting to God. He could take the home. Is that okay? Because if you're saying the home is the reason why, he could just take the home there, right? Because Lord knows God doesn't want the home to be in the way. And it seems like it's a burden to you that it's keeping you from God so he could take the home, Right? I, I, I want us to just process through things. I was thinking about these Vanderbilt players. I, I, you know, I won't get into all the specifics. But they ended up uh, getting so caught up in the lust that they uh, attacked this young lady. These guys had phenomenal athletic careers. Whole life's over for a moment of pleasure. Whole life done for a moment of pleasure. That moment of pleasure has taken down hundreds of millions of dollars in people's lives. It's taking people from great positions and thrones just for a moment of pleasure. It's nothing to play after, Uh, play play with is what I'm saying. Uh, Proverbs 31, two and three, I'm just gonna read through this real quick. Uh, So it says, what son, and now now we always read the Proverbs 31 because it's talking about what, the virtuous woman. It didn't open up with that, right? It opened up at what, son, and what, the son of my womb, and what, the son of my vows. Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. These lusts and these addictions destroy kings. If they could destroy kings, they definitely take us from our jobs, take us from our position in our lives. Proverbs 6, um, was it, 5? That'd be Proverbs 6, it says, Lust not after her. <laughs> you know, you read through Proverbs 5 and 6, Lust not after, don't go down her street. Why? <laughs> right? It's saying, Don't even put yourself in a position to be tempted. Don't even put yourself in a position to be tempted. It says, uh, Psalm 106 14, you can write it down. It says, but well, when the children of Israel, because remember, some of them didn't get to see the promised land, but they didn't just get to see the promised land just because ah, we, we're going to let these people go to the promised land and these people don't. No, the ones that got caught up in lust is the ones that didn't get there. It says, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So they missed the promised land. So if they missed the, because pro- they got blinded from what the goal was, right? Remember, they were so caught up in lust, they were stuck in the wilderness. That was an eleven-day journey for forty years because they were clouded. I said Psalm one hundred six fourteen, right? I, didn't, I I mean, I didn't go to it, but Psalm 106, 14, right? Okay. Right. So, 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 so look at, look at. They got so clouded with lust, they're stuck in what they want to have relief from. They didn't want to live in the wilderness. They were going where? To the promised land. So why would you delay the process 39 years? 39 years and 350-something days, 54 days. Why, Why would you do that? and complain the whole time when everything you're doing is clouding you and making you stay in the state longer than you want. Because what? Exceeding lust. This lust is dangerous, it's the catalyst from arguments, for wars, all the wars that are going on around the country, it's lust, it's greed, people are desperate. It's never enough. Even in our country, we fighting over oil. Do you know there's oil in our country? They got it stored. <laughs> see, see, lust has you greedy. It's never enough. You're never. It's unsatiable. You're never satisfied. Uh, James one, James four. I'm sorry. And, and so while we're talking about the, deception, the deceptive addictions is because the core is lust, but all these addictions are different channels that the adversary gets fed through. The core is lust. That's the headquarters. But all these different things are the channels. And, and his trick is we shut down one channel, but we overcompensate on another channel. What well, they told me when I first went to the eye doctor years ago, the guy says, well, I can't get your glasses. He says, your body has compensated. He says, so, so you, you're, you're struggling in his left eye, but your right eye is overcompensated. Your peripheral vision has gotten stronger. And probably some other senses kicked in. Well, the thing is, like I was telling you, people stop drinking and take up smoking. What happens is we shut down one thing, but if we don't get that core of lust, we'll, we'll, another channel will feed it. But we be over here looking like, see, I, I shut that down. You going around boasting and bragging, but you're still feeding that lust, right? You're still feeding, and it's, it's a dangerous game. So, James 4, James 4, we'll start at 1, James 4, chapter 1. It says, for whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not? Hence, even of your lust that war in your members. Most of the time when, you, when, when, when division rises up, even in the church or, or in a job or stuff like that, the, the one thing the boss can't control, the pastors nobody can control, is people's individual choice with lust. You ever, you, you ever been around people that go, ah, I just got mad? But mad, getting mad, is a viable option for them. Because lust says it's okay. Lust won't have you seeking to understand. Lust will have you jump into conclusions. <laughs> right? Lust will have you magnifying your insecurity. All right, so look, look here. It says, lust that war in your members. Verse 2. It says, ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not. Because you ask not. Ye ask and receive not because you ask amiss. You're not really asking in faith. It says that you may consume it in your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, it says, Know ye not that friendship with the world is, is enemy with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain? The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? It says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he said, God resisteth the proud, but give grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Don't take the first temptation, don't drink the envy. But the envy is a result of lust. You ever been around people that say, I I don't have no problem with that? Listen, when you're around spiritual people, ain't nobody just listening to your mouth. They're watching your actions, even when you're not watching them. And lust has so blinded you from your own actions. Every every choice you make is envious. You got to grab because you don't believe you'll evolve. That's lust does that. Lust is not patient. Lust is manipulative. All right? Ecclesiastes six verse nine. Ecclesiastes six verse nine. I'm going to read it out of the amplifier. Ecclesiastes six verse nine. It says, better is the sight of the eyes, the enjoyment of what is available to one, than the cravings of wondering desire. It says, this is also vanity, emptiness, falsity, and futility, and a striving after the wind and feeding on it. Look, it says striving after the wind and feeding on it. I'm chasing empty and trying to feed on empty. So I'm never going to get fulfilled. I'm grabbing at nothing, thinking I'm getting something. And so, so this in in in, in our life, that's why uh, 1 Corinthians thirteen tells us about love. Love is kind. Love is patient. You know, love takes no account of a suffered wrong. Love is not envious. Lust is, <laughs> right, right. See, T- takes no account of a suffered wrong. Love is looking for reconciliation, not a fight. Love is looking for forgiveness and not a punishment. Lust is all about me. Somebody got to pay with lust. I have an opportunity to give with love. You see the difference? (laughs) And see, so, so, you know, you have these different, I'll just hit it for just right now. Uh, You got these different aspects of love and you have phileo, which is the type of love that exists between a boyfriend and a girlfriend. Phileo is, love is based on mutual satisfaction. So, so, so you my boyfriend, you know, when you're growing up, you my boyfriend, if you do this, I need to be satisfied. Okay, well, you my girlfriend, if I get this, I'm satisfied. That's phileo love, based on mutual satisfaction, right? Eros love, it's all about lust is self-seeking love. That's where the word erotic comes from, right? The flavor is eros, eros. It's, self, it's all about self-seeking, I'm, I'm gratifying self, right? You got sturgio, which is the type of love that exists between parents, children, and family. And that's that, almost like that compliance or committed love or obligated type love, because we family. You know, you go up in, well, you can't do this, we family. We need to do this. We family. Well, how could you do this to me? We family. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like you got this this built-in obligation. But we family. Now, well, as Christians, we're not supposed to be focusing on all those those three loves. We're supposed to be walking in agape love. Agape love is self-sacrificial love, right? It's the unconditional love. It's the God kind of love. That's how we're supposed to be operating. So there's no strife, there's no fight, there's no offense, there's no greed, there's no envy, there's no jealousy in agape love. Right? Perfect love casts out fear, fear has torment. That fear is connected to lust. I don't think I'm getting something. I'm worried about losing something. It, it it, It graduates into envy and jealousy. Somebody gets something, oh, my God, they got it, there probably ain't none left. Because that's how we live sometimes. Like, somebody gets a promotion, oh, man, there's only one promotion in the world, and they got it. Somebody gets a new house, there's only one house in the world. Or you feel like you got to buy a house because they got a house. There's only one house left, and they got it. I can't believe they got that house. Can't stand them. They think they are. What they smiling for? They smiling because they got a house, and God bless them. That's what they're smiling. You know what I'm saying? But we live this life like, like every, we, t- we teach this the church. Everybody got a birthday. And you operate in God be love, you'll be happy with everybody's birthday. And I think you should get celebrated on their birthday too, right? And so, so, so as we grow, sometimes, in the, in, not sometimes, in a lot of times in our life, we, we go through test trials and stuff. We talked about that when we talked about the test of ministry. And so, god wants us to elevate because every level of promotion is a level of, of of service you serve at a greater level you know if you just you know you're just on a team you know you get to serve the team you promoted to be captain now you you are not just serving the team but you're serving to lead the team in a different direction you become coach now you're actually preparing a strategy to put everybody in the best position to have an opportunity for them to be successful right? Then you come up to be a GM, you're bringing all the resources to make sure they actually have what they need to, to flow together, right? Your owner, I'm, on, I'm not only doing that, I'm actually going out making sure I, I, I market and do stuff to bring in the resources so the GM can buy the players so you can have the right people in position, so the coach can, can put you in a position so you can have your millions and stuff like that. So every level, you're serving at a greater level. So in our life, God wants us promoted. God just doesn't want us stagnant or just stand in a comfortable place where we're satisfied. He wants us to take responsibility to elevate so he can use what he's giving you to pour into others. But if you stay in your safe place, You're eating your own fruit. Your fruit is for other people to partake of. So when we walk in love, we take responsibility. We, we, We present ourselves as a living sacrifice, and we allow ourselves to grow in a place where we can give to others. That's what agape love does. Lust says, no, I'm going to stay in a comfortable, safe place where it's all about me. I'm going to do the bare minimum. Even if I celebrate somebody, I'm going to do the bare minimum. But I'm going to go way out when I celebrate me. My wife would tell you, when I, when I, start, when I would think of gifts, I was like, well, I just can't get nobody that baby. it got to be something that's going to last. I just can't give them socks. You know, like... I, the socks is about me. You know why it's about me? If I give them the socks... So they'll say, I gave them something. Now, I want to give them a gift that's about them. So they can say, I got something. See? So, so it's all about them. But a lot of times, everything's about us. So we're going to have these, these you go through tests and trials or fiery furnaces, and a lot of times there's two tests on, or two fires on Promotion Road. There's two fires on Promotion Road. And so, so we notice through the children of Israel, there's the flames of the wilderness, you know, the wilderness test, where it just seems like I don't have everything. There's not a whole, you know, wilderness, there's not a whole lot of fanfare. You just got to believe God through the whole process. Like, you got to depend on God through the whole process, right? So on this road, when you're going through wilderness, you're okay because you know that's God. But on the same road, the adversary tries to, tries to uh, override God's test of wilderness, and he tries to attack you through the flames of lust and compromise, through the flames of lust and compromise. When, you, when you're battling through lust and compromise, that ain't God's test. <laughs> that ain't God. You know, that's the adversary. Right? Through lust and compromise, that's what we try to do with Jesus in Matthew 4. He just tried to offer him, you know, turn his stone into bread, <laughs> You know, try to get him to lust. Try to get him to compromise God, right? Saying, you know, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. That's what he did with uh, Eve, right? Try to get it. You know, uh, 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 it was pleasant to the eyes, you know, um, uh, food to make uh, uh, pleasant to the eyes. Food to make one wise, it was the third one, but it was less of flesh, less of eyes of pride, like Genesis 3, 1 through 7. And, and this is the thing, like what people don't realize, when God put them in the garden, the garden wasn't a finish. The garden was a fire. The garden was a a a, 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 a test. Remember, that choice that they made was an opportunity. If they would have passed the test of obedience, they would have had all authority. And guess what we would have been walking in? We would have breathed authority as opposed to breathing compromise and flipping and tripping. See, God was finished with the heaven and earth, but not our purpose within it. He was finished with the heavens and the earth, but not our purpose within it. And so, I'm going to end with this statement here. Well, I'm mean, with these two statements. One, embrace the, the preparation. Embrace the preparation. And I'll tell you this. If you manipulate the proving, you'll forfeit the promotion. If you manipulate the proving, you'll forfeit the promotion. So if you try to get around passing these tests to, to get past some of these foolish lusts, as it says in 1 Timothy 6.9, you know, I'll just read it real quick. 1 Timothy 6 9 says, it says, but they that that will be rich in this they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Look, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men, male and female, into destruction and perdition. And so when people try to get around the testing and the wilderness test, the preparation. They, they're going to find themselves slipping into some of these foolish lusts that 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 destroy us and stop us from our elevating. All right, so that's all for today. Um, we may have a another week on this before we get into uh, stormproof.